morning, good afternoon, good evening, Chelsea fans, wherever you are listening to this. Welcome to the Blue as the Colour podcast. I am your host, Daniel Charles, and today we'll be celebrating Chelsea's penalty shootout victory over Spurs at Stamford Bridge, taking the Blues back to Wembley for another cup final and extending Spurs' long trophy drought. We will also reflect on Chelsea's FA Cup victory over Sheffield Wednesday's transfers and proving Wednesday night's game away to Bournemouth. As ever, I'm glad to be rejoined by my co-host, Andrew Tindall. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, all good. Glad to be here. Great to be here as well. I'm back talking about Chelsea. It's also to introduce two new guests to the podcast. Firstly, in James. How are you doing, mate? Hey, hello. Yeah, um, I'm James. And uh, if you don't know me, my Twitter handle is PGCFC as well. That's my, how people may know me. So Great to have you on, mate. And also, we've got Jimmy, who is also a Chelsea Echo writer. How are you doing, mate? Hi there. Glad to have, uh, be a part of this. Cheers for having me on. Yeah, Great. So we can move on and I think talk about a game that it's a bit of a shame we didn't do a podcast uh, last week because the game on Thursday uh, last week against Spurs was one of the games of the season, arguably the win of the season. Um, mm-hmm. And I think because, of course, we didn't cover the Arsenal defeat um, as well. I'll come to you, Andrew, on this. Uh, Sarri's piercing words about the Chelsea players after that defeat and the performance. Um, now, given the two results we've seen since then, and especially the Spurs result, uh, was that a smart move by Sarri um, to to make those comments when he did? It looks it looks like. I mean, he seems to have got a reaction. I mean, I was absolutely buzzing after that Tottenham game. It was fantastic. I mean, it was like almost the total opposite of the Arsenal game. It was just. It was much quicker. It was. Um, it was it was just it was just perfect especially the first half was like a perfect example of what of what a sorry ball can be second half we we regressed a little bit but it was it was still a really good performance overall i think he got the perfect reaction i mean a lot of people were saying it was a massive risk for him to make those comments uh mainly people like rio ferdinand and stuff <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no i mean i thought i thought it was I, I don't think it was a risk i think a lot of the players that would have been I guess the guys that you could consider the troublemakers in that dressing room, I think I think they've left, to be honest. I, I don't think that's the same kind of dressing room anymore. I don't think it was that much of a risk. I thought he got the right reaction. I thought it was a good performance. I thought against Sheffield as well, we were good. And uh, hopefully we can... Well, he said it himself, it's consistency. If we can just keep kicking on like this, I think we'll be all right. Yeah, moving, moving on from that, um, could the Spurs win be a major turning point in the season after a frustrating winter for Chelsea? I'll come to you, uh, Jimmy, on this one. Well, I mean, too early to tell, but it was definitely something that gave the team a lift. I mean, to go with the Wayne signing, which we'll, I'm sure we'll come to later, that has given the team a lift. So I would say it could be a turning point, but it's too early to tell. Um, I mean, you, we didn't play too well against uh, Sheffield Wednesday, and that's the kind of pattern that it's been this season. We have great performances like against Man City, and then the other week we lose against Leicester. It's so tricky to um, make a prediction of that kind this season. Yeah, Chelsea's form has definitely been up and down in a lot of games. James, what was it about Chelsea's performance that had been lacking um, in some of the previous games that pleased us so much, in especially in that first half against Spurs? Yeah, yeah, that first half, there was, to me, it was there was the urgency. There was intensity there was energy there was like you know it wasn't 
slow, slow, slow party was there was a there was a lot of intensity in, in how we were playing and how we were passing and attacking, you know, and we were we were looking dangerous. Hazard looked back to his old self as well, which always helps, obviously. Um yeah, and it looked like the players were motivated up for it, you know, that they weren't just kind of sitting back passing the ball, you know, whatever it was there was an energy to it, an intensity. It kind of, like you said earlier, it kind of reminded me of a bit more of like what Surrey ball is meant to be like, you know, because that's what Surrey ball is meant to be like. It's meant to be intense and quick and lots of energy and quick movement. And um, we haven't had that so much this year, purely because I think we're still adapting to Surrey ball and it takes time to, to adapt to that kind of philosophy, especially when you haven't played it for five years, you know. Um, but we saw a bit of that on on um, on Wednesday, and the players were up for it, and I think that made a difference. Coming to you, Andrew, on on the next thing, we we spoke about this guy on the podcast before and why he he hasn't got more chances on the Surrey. Emerson, do you think that game will be a turning point as well for his career at Chelsea? Um, because he, he looked completely out of it under under uh, Surrey. And he, he got his chance against Spurs and he really did t- take it. And he and he could have set up the winner perfectly for Drew right at the end before penalties. Do you think this is a massive moment for him uh, now staking his claim to be in the first team? Well, I hope so. I mean, Alonso played against Sheffield Wednesday. So you'd think that it would be Emerson starting midweek against Bournemouth. So, I mean, that kind of performance was everything you want from like the modern day fullback. It was dynamic. He was getting forward well. He was beating his man. That run at the end where he just knocked it past like three players and just ran onto it. You you just couldn't see Alonso do that. You know, I, I don't um I don't I don't dislike Alonso in the in the way that some people do, but I think that that kind of dynamic movement is just something that he can't do and he probably never will be able to do just due to his pace. So I think uh that that kind of performance is really all you want. And I think it looks like Sarri's seen that and Sarri's gonna play him in. I mean the excuses he's given about height, I I, I do under understand sort of where he's coming from in, in that the team doesn't have a lot of threat from set pieces without him. But I think if you bring in like a guy like a Loftus Cheek or if you bring in a Barkley or just, just there there's other players that can provide that, I think. I d I don't think it's really what you want to be judging your left back on, in my opinion. And I think hopefully he can kick on from that performance against Tottenham and become the first choice. It will be intriguing to see in the coming months what happens with that position, some competition in that position, which there really hasn't been so far this season. Moving on from Spurs, because uh, Chelsea will now move on to the final to play against Manchester City at Wembley at the end of February. Uh, hopefully, maybe Sarri can break his trophy curse and win his first piece of silverware as Chelsea manager. Another piece of silverware Chelsea could be having their hands on again at the end of the season is the FA Cup. Chelsea progressed to the fifth round at home to Sheffield Wednesday with a comfortable 3-0 victory on Sunday. Uh, James, what did you think of this performance? Um, of course, always against lower uh, league opposition. It could sometimes turn into a bit of a slog, especially if you're bringing in fringe players and it's quite a disjointed team. How do you feel the team coped on the afternoon? Well, yeah, it wasn't our best performance, obviously, um, but... <clears throat> Like you say, it's always difficult against those kind of opponents. They've got nothing to lose. And, you know, you could, you could see kind of quite early on, Sheffield Wednesday were kind of sitting back a little bit and we still struggle. Like, um, and obviously when you change that many players, which Sarri did, there's obviously a bit of a disjoint as well. So 
Um, but having said that, you know, we scored three goals. Um, two of them were excellent goals. I think, you know, William's second goal was, was great and, and Hudson Adoy obviously. Um, they probably they were probably our best players, to be honest. And um Higuain had a good debut. Um, obviously still feeling his way a bit, linking up with players, still trying to get the, the feel of like you know, of his teammates and stuff and getting that chemistry. But it was a solid performance and we got the result that we needed, I think. And you know, that's the most important thing in those games, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I still say, you know, we're still learning this system. It takes time to learn this system. And, you know, when, especially when you change the team like he did, you're not going to do it every game at this point. So um, I wasn't, it, was, it wasn't spectacular, but it was, it was good enough to, to get the win, you know. So, um, and, you know, obviously I'm now in the next round and Manchester United at home. Yeah, probably out of all the the teams, there was a lot made over the weekend about the amount of Premier League teams that had been knocked out. And of course, Chelsea end up getting Manchester United. But I guess a flip side of that is if Chelsea do turn over Manchester United at Stamford Bridge, which Chelsea have a very good record of doing, um, then it puts us in a really strong position in terms of the cup. I'm just intrigued um, because another thing we spoke about the podcast in relation to the Spurs' first leg uh, game of the League Cup semi-final was VAR and how in that game, uh, it didn't work really in Chelsea's favour. This time it did with mm. the penalty uh, that didn't that wasn't a penalty. Ethan Ampadu, a brilliant tackle. Andre Mariner uh, awarded Sheffield Wednesday a penalty. They went to VAR. It was quite clear that Ampadu had got the ball. It, the decision is forced to be overturned. And then literally a minute later, Chelsea got the other end of the pitch and win a penalty, which was also checked for VAR, which was clearly was a penalty. Um Jimmy, what did you think about this whole uh, VAR situation? Because we've debated about it on the podcast. And um, mm. is is this a thing that is really going to help the game? Um, not just in terms of Chelsea, but really help um, sort of weed out a lot of bad refereeing? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, in theory, on paper, it should. Uh, and we saw yesterday that, oh, no, actually, it's already two uh, days ago whatever but uh, it, we saw something that it works it can work um if used correctly but i mean i still can't understand how referees see or the, the var referees see it on the screen and then can't deem for example harry kane being clearly offside it makes no sense so i don't know <laughs> you can't take the human perspective out of this you can have as much technology as you want it's always going to be human failure involved because, uh, you know, people might be influenced by, or the referees might be influenced by whatever um, reasons, as, for example, was the case with Mark Clattenburg, where he said that, you know, he didn't give yellow cards out because he didn't want to destroy the game, which was complete, utter nonsense. Um, it would be the same with, with the VAR. I mean, generally, we... We, we can benefit from this. I think it's the right way, but there's still a long way to go until referees get a hang of it correctly or that they come up with some kind of solution how they can always get a, I don't know, 90, 95% correct call ratio. But um, yeah, no, they should definitely continue. And I, I'm quite curious to see how it will work in the Premier League, I think from next season on, if I'm not mistaken. I think that um, that decision 
in the first place, though, from uh, who was it? Um, I can't remember who the referee was, but Andre Mariner. Andre Mariner. I mean, it was so clearly not a penalty. I mean, I was I was top row in the East End, and it was I could see it clearly. I knew it wasn't a penalty, and it's just. <laughs> I mean, if that was the league, that would have been given, and we would have conceded a goal. And exactly. Hope that, no, that's that's that is unfair on Kepa. He, you know, he did save the Lucas True. Moore penalty. True, you know, he. Oh, sorry, no, Caballero was in goal, but Caballero is a good penalty he's, uh, he's saver as well. Either. He's not no, bad. Right. He saved a few penalties for Chelsea. Mm. So, you know, yeah. we've got two decent keepers there, but I, I understand what you're saying. It did, it was just curious to me when I looked at the um, the direction of the ball, the way it went when Ampadu tackled. It wasn't a, I did sort of worry that he clipped maybe the back of the Sheffield Wednesday's player leg, but yeah. uh, when you saw it, when you saw the replay, it looked, you just, a lot for me is, is positioning with these refs where they're positioned on the pitch yep. and you think sure that no one's it's not like they're an attacker who's going to be blocked by a defender you know surely these refs they they train extensively to put themselves in in the right position to see these fouls and um it did make the referee look a bit stupid but in the end it got us the right decision which is a positive yeah um, a big thing about the game was Gonzalo Higuain's debut he didn't sign in time to play against Spurs but he did play Andrew it's it was. It, I did. I did see someone make a good point on Twitter about how it may be a blessing in disguise for Higuain that he didn't start against Spurs because remember Torres when he came in in his first game right in there was against Liverpool, which of course can end up in a fairy tale situation. But unfortunately for us, it didn't. Do you think him starting in a lower profile game, less pressure on him, uh, has that could actually help him in the long term? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. That's an interesting question. I mean, you look at this, the um, the chances that were in that Tottenham game. I would have thought he probably would have scored a goal with with if he got the same kind of service. But no, but there is something to be said for that. I mean, in that Sheffield Wednesday game, I thought he had a good performance. It wasn't, you know, he didn't get a great deal of service. He didn't get that many chances. But I thought he made some good runs. He got in behind. He, he played. He played reasonably well, and he and he got taken off within like sixty five minutes. So he should be fit and ready to go for the Bournemouth game. But yeah, I suppose you're probably right to ease him in like that. It makes a bit of sense, although I do think he probably could have scored a goal or two if he played in that Tottenham game. We're going to see if he starts against Bournemouth, which we will come to. But before going to that, uh, we need to talk about the massive transfer story of the week, which is Callum Hudson-Odoi. Um, he handed in a transfer request on Saturday night. He then subsequently played, started and scored against Sheffield Wednesday on Sunday. Now, as the time of recording, uh, we're close to the transfer deadline. Um, it looks like Chelsea are going to dig their heels in and are not selling Callum Hudson and Doy. That's sort of been the powerful message uh, that's been sent out by the club. James, how was your sort of reaction to? I guess you could uh, we can sort of trace it back to the start of the window, uh, buy-ins, transfer bids, and then the transfer request itself, and then how the club has now reacted to the transfer request. How? And what are your sort of opinions? I'm quite intrigued because I, you know, I wrote an article for the Echo about this, and everyone's sort of opinions on Hudson and Doi are quite different. So, what's your take on this? Well, I wasn't surprised when a a club, at least one club, came in for him in January um, because up till January he hadn't played too much, and. Um, but then it transpired was it was really interesting. It just seemed to be Sky Germany um, all the time leaking this stuff uh, about different bids, and not many other people were. And we kept hearing nothing from the player. 
probably because he'd been told not to say anything. And uh, Sarri was playing him a lot more. Even before that, even before the, we heard about Bayern's bid, he'd already come off the bench in the league against Watford, I think, and played a lot of that game. Um, I think my my whole take on it is that is that Callum Hudson-Odoi wants to play football. He wants to start football matches. And no, maybe he believes... Um, I saw a good article on him in the Times today, actually. It was a really good article, well-researched. And somebody who knows him said he just wants to play and he thinks he's good enough to start for the Chelsea first team. And I think, you know, that, that, that's what it is. I think Chelsea, Chelsea want him to stay. They clearly want him to stay. They clearly see him as part of the long-term plan for the club. Well, that's what I think anyway. And um, I think he just wants to play football. And I think I, Bayern, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not happy with Bayern's conduct in this. They do this stuff in Germany with um, other German teams. Um, it looks like you know they approached him a while back and have made him promises like, you know, you'll get the number 10 shirt and you'll be taking Robin's place in the squad and you know, you'll be getting football. That kind of thing. Um, and I was talking about this last night um, for another podcast, and um, you know, like his his parents are looking out for him. They want him to they want him to play football. They want him to be happy. So that's what they they you know, so they've talked to other clubs. Clearly, um, when he put in the transfer request, I was fearing the worst, to be honest, because his transfer request is a big deal, um, especially when it came out so publicly that he'd done that as well. Um, although I was reminded of John Stones. Um, John Stones, when we tried to sign him, he handed in a transfer request. He was quite a young player at the time. And um, in the end, he stayed. I mean, obviously, he moved to Man City later on. But it's slightly different. Everton aren't as big a club as we are. But I think... Chelsea, Chelsea did Chelsea did all they can to keep him, and I don't think he's just got his chances in January just because Bayern has expressed an interest in him. I know that a lot of people disagree with me on that. I think he's actually earned his chances this this month, and I think he will get more games, including starts in the Premier League, before the end of the season. And I think he will change it. I think I think if that happens, he will change his mind. I always said. I've said this on Twitter quite consistently, I think, that give it to the end of the season. And then if at the end of the season he's not getting enough games, then he's got every right to, to ask to go. Um, if, however, he's get if at the end of the season we, he's got, I don't know, what, 20, 30 appearances and about 10, 15 starts for an 18-year-old who's just breaking through and didn't really play in the first half of the season, that's pretty good. Um, and it will only get better, you know. You know, I think, and we don't know what's going to happen with Hallow in the summer. Some people think he's staying. Some people think he's going. If Eden Hazard left, we'd have a gaping hole on the left wing, and um, the number ten shirt would be free. And you know, Callum Hudson-Odoi could step into that. He's got the ability to do that. You know, he's not the comp- the finished article yet, but he is. He has the potential to be, you know top class, you know, Chelsea level comfortably. You know, I think he should be starting regularly now. 
you know, I, I would be starting him on, we're not talking about Bournemouth yet, but I would be starting him against Bournemouth um, and in the Premier League, generally. Um, so I, did, I think it's just about, I think it's just about him getting enough start, enough minutes to feel like he's valued here and that Chelsea see him as part of their plans. And if he does get that, then I think he will commit to Chelsea. If he doesn't feel he, he gets that, then he will ask to leave in the summer. And Chelsea won't be able to hold on to him in the summer if he asks to leave, I don't think, because we'll only have a year left on his contract and then we could lose him for almost a pittance next year. So, um, yeah, the next few months are absolutely key to what happens with hudson Odoi now. And I hope he gets more games and that he stays. It will be intriguing to see because, you know, coming to you, Jimmy, on this, uh, we've seen with Jaden Sandro, we've seen with Reese Nelson, there's, it seems to be a, a, an avenue for English players to to go to. And I'm sure that, that was the same. You know, even Adam Ola-Lukman went on loan at, at, in the second half of last season from Everton to get some play time. And he, and he did well, I think it was at Leipzig. Leipzig um, and, yeah. and, and I think he wanted to move there permanently. Um, because of his development. And, you know, I, I know there's people upset Hudson and Doy uh, for not wanting to stay with Chelsea, but but can you understand as a young English player being at Chelsea, given the track record of Chelsea with the young players in in, in recent years, as going as you know long back as, as JT coming through, um can you can you understand why he feels this is the best uh, move for him, even if it's a painful one leaving his boyhood club. Um, I do. Uh, as as really mentioned, I mean, the last real example of a player coming through our ranks uh, was John Terry. I'm not going to be uh, saying Ruben Loftus Cheek and Andreas Christens are examples of that just yet, because we don't know. Maybe they will leave us in the summer. So that would be further negative examples of that. Um, he just wants to play. And even though I think it's a bit ridiculous that, uh, you know, for an 18-year-old, he wants to be playing week in, week out, because at all the big teams in, in Europe, you very rarely have that uh, if you want to be winning big trophies. But in Germany, they do it, but that has different reasons. So um, living in Austria, we have a lot to do with the German Bundesliga. We I get to see it a lot. We read it in the papers, of course. There are lots of uh, supporters here. And um, the thing is that they have come across, hey, they do actually have talent and we're going to get them on the cheap. And that's worked. Now, the problem is if Chelsea had have caved here, then that would have been a very dangerous precedence for the future of all the other uh, talents that German clubs might have come and picked up. So I, I think it, it's been imperative that we're still firm here. And, and that doesn't help Hudson Adoy, of course, because he wants to play. But I mean, how often does it happen that an English player goes abroad and wants to stay there? I think that Hudson Adoy's end game here is playing in the Premier League, if I'm completely honest. So he might as well stay at Chelsea. Anyone who thinks that he's. Uh, or him, himself, if he thinks that he's going to play so much more at Bayern, then I think he's a bit delusional because they have got players there. Robman Ribéry may not be the the youngest anymore, but they they play because they still got this individual quality that, you know, is one in a million. 
you could say. I mean, that Robin trick, for example, you don't get that in a play every day. So there you have Nabry there. They have, um, what's he called, Green, if I'm not mistaken, or Davis. If, Kingsley Coleman and... Uh, Coleman, of yeah, course, Davis, yeah. Well, from mm. Canada. So they've, they've got a huge amount of players. And Alfonso Davis, it's been a struggle for him himself to actually get through the ranks. Why would Bayern do it any differently than Chelsea? It makes no sense. I think, as uh, my uh, co-host on the Attacking Blues said yesterday in our podcast episode, I think it's all about him getting um, the attention. He loves that. And I, I can understand it. He's only 18 years old. We all were young once. And he just wants to be appreciated. And... He's getting that from Bayern, which is of course, quite rare for such a young lad. Normally, when and I, I can't stress this enough, normally when Bayern says openly, we're getting this player, we're in talks with this player, that's their aggressive nature. They always do that. Then they get that player. We are actually the first team, I think, in, in ages to stand firm on that. And I've I got to say credit to Marin on that. Yeah, I think it's quite intriguing, especially given Antonio Rudiger, Willian, first team players who have come out and really backed Hudson Doy and said he he's staying with us. And Zola said the same. So I think for the club to be that sort of uh, clear with their messaging straight after, I think that's that's mm. quite a positive thing as a as a fan to see. And you know, hopefully, maybe the culture is changing. Andrew, just before we we move on, uh, Hudson and Doy, um, is this problem? more sort of is it more of a systemic problem and one that isn't really uh, confined to just Hudson Odoi do you think this situation will uh, occur again in the future given Chelsea's uh, struggle to get youngsters into the team well it depends because it seems like Chelsea do seem to be changing their attitude a little bit I think Hudson Odoi himself actually seems to have got himself into a pretty good situation here where because you do I mean I think I think he pr- I think James Hutchins, I think I think he's right. I think Hudson and I would play here if he hadn't had kicked up this sort of fuss. But it's it's quite possible that he's now going to play more games at Chelsea because of this. So if he stays, he's probably going to get value at Chelsea. Whereas if he goes to Bayern Munich, he's, he's probably also going to play. I don't think you spend that much money. I think it'd be their record transfer fee for a player you're not going to play. I think Robin and Rubery are both leaving at the end of the season. Or at least Robin, and I'm not sure about Rubery. But um, <clears throat> either way, there's going to be there's going to be minutes there. I don't know. I, th- I think it's it would be really sad to see a player like that go because I think we've had a lot of youth players come through. We've had a lot of youth players that have been very, very talented and and not made it for for whatever reason. You know, bad loan moves that whatever. It would be really sad to see a player like Hudson Odoi go because I think he's probably the best one we've had in, in a long time. And you can understand why he wants to go because I mean, even players like I mean, nobody's made it since John Terry really, and even the guys that have made it like your Christians and the Loftus Cheeks. Loftus Cheek is is twenty three now, and he's what played like he's, he's I think he's played fifty games for Chelsea, probably quite a few of those off the bench. So it, it's understandable he doesn't want that to happen to him. I don't know. I, I think I think he's a fantastic player. I think I think with the situation now, I think he will get game time at Chelsea. I think it makes sense for him to stay, but you can understand why he wants to leave. Yeah, it would be an intriguing uh, watch with Arsene Ndoye to see if he does get that first team uh, game time. He's basically on the fringes now of the Chelsea first team. And with Willian and Pedro and Hazard, their future's all sort of looming and you're not sure what, what's going to happen with them. I'm sure that this will be rectified in the summer as well with Christian Pulisic coming in. So we could see a very different front three come the start of uh, next season. 
Before we get to Bournemouth, uh, just some more transfer news. Uh, departures, Victor Moses and Alvaro Morata both going out alone. Moses to Fenerbahce and Morata to Atletico Madrid. I'll start with the bigger one in Morata. Um, Andrew, simply put, is, is this the end of uh, Alvaro Morata's Chelsea career? I mean, probably. I mean, he's just not really cut out for, well, I say for the Premier League and probably for our football as well. I think he'll do better at um, Atletico Madrid. They're the kind of team that are going to put crosses into the box. They're going to give him the service that he wants because he's, he's that kind of striker. I think he needs that kind of thing, sort of aerial balls, that kind of thing, headed chances to really get the best out of him. I mean, I, I genuinely wish him the best. Like, I think he's he, he hasn't been very successful here, but he's still got quite a respectable goal tally. And he's had some good moments, you know, against Man United. That header was was pretty great. So um yeah it probably is the end of my I don't I think he'll do quite well I think they'll probably activate the buy the buy fee at the end of that we'll just have to see what happens either way even if he even if they don't buy him he'll probably come back in the summer and we'll probably sell him to somebody else I I don't see him playing for Chelsea again but I mean all the best to him I think I hope he has a good career I hope he has a good time at Atletico and they and they buy him at the end of it Jimmy what did you, what did you make of uh, Morata's I guess now quite short Chelsea career um do you think, do you put the blame all on him as a player? Do you think there are varying factors in this? Injuries, maybe online, we've seen a lot of sort of um, abuse of Morata online, some, you know, more, you know, less and uh, some more and less extreme. Uh, what what do you think it was that just didn't work for Morata at Chelsea? Well, um, <clears throat> as you just said, I think there are varying reasons for that. Uh, the first one being, of course, and I think this is the primary reason, if you ask me, it's there's the mental issues that he did have, mental fragility, which he has more or less confessed himself, did play a big part generally in his career. I mean, it wasn't just at Chelsea. He had problems at Juventus as well because of that, where he was in a kind of depression and they got him a girlfriend who is now his wife. Uh, and that worked out, you know. Um, I think what is so uh, tragic about this whole situation is that it worked so well at the start. We were all so happy and thought, thankfully, finally, our striking woes are finished. And he was he was brilliant. He was brilliant for those first few months. And that injury did put him off, but that shouldn't be uh, the decisive reason if you play, you know, for a record signing, which he still was back then. And I, I don't know. I think I wouldn't say as, um, as um, Andrew said that he doesn't have a future at Chelsea at all anymore. I think it depends very much on our transfer ban. If we do get that transfer ban and I can see him uh, coming back to Chelsea, maybe you never know. I mean, he did seem as if he left us, um, you know, on good terms, so the, the abuse won't have helped. Um, that has to be said, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I wish him all the best, definitely. He's a good guy, even though he has been frustrating at times. Just uh, finally on Morata, with you, James, um, is there something just with Morata that he was just never really the sort of fit uh, that Chelsea needed? Is he just not cut out to be in the mould of a Chelsea striker? Well, when we signed him, I I'd watched him at, at Madrid and, and for Spain, and he looked he looked a good player. I mean, his movement was good. 
Um, he looked to be good in the air until he had to finish. It looked like he was just about to kind of catch fire with potential. It kind of, I think when we signed him, it, I, I said it felt like when Torres signed for Liverpool. You know, he was just making that step up, even though he'd been at Real Madrid, but being a starter. Um, and the first few months, it looked like that, you know. But, um, but yeah, I think, I mean, Conte, Conte at the time, who was manager, wanted, I think it was well, quite well known, he wanted Lukaku, not not Morata. Um, and obviously that didn't work out because he went to Manchester United. But, um, and then I think, yeah, he just, I think Morata's a confidence player and he lost his confidence after that injury. Um, and he never really got it back, I don't think. It, you know, he never really looked himself again. It was almost like two different players. You know, him up to kind of December in his first season, and then him after that. It was like watching two different players. And he just, yeah, he just lost his confidence and found it hard to pick it up again. And towards the end, it looked like he didn't want to be here even. And, you know, you can't really keep a player who doesn't want to be here. I don't, you know, if a player's not motivated, to perform it's better that you let him go and he is quite a quite a sensitive guy i think and he's you know um mentally he's not i don't think he mentally he's quite cut out for the english game i think physically as well he kind of seemed to go down a bit too easily you know um and i just think yeah he's more suited to spanish football without a doubt i think you know the movement the passing there like it's much less physical that league and I think it'll suit him and I think he'll do well at Atletico and I think they'll probably make it permanent because um he's much he I think he'll be much happier there and it's the club that he grew up grew up and that he supported as a boy and I think um, that'll give him extra motivation as well so um yeah I wish him well because he's again like everyone said he's a good guy he's a nice guy um he, he tried his best um you know, I don't think he ever downed tools, really. Even when he, you know, I think he played against Nottingham Forest and got a couple of goals, and that was after he told Sarri he wanted to leave. So, you know, he still showed up and did his job as, as best he could. So I wish him well, you know, and I hope I hope it works out for him because he's a good guy and kind of deserves to be successful. I think that's a good point you made, actually, about uh, maybe mentally not cut out for the English game. Because it's like, in, in this country, I think if you miss miss like one chance to, or two ch- you just have a bad game you get absolutely slaughtered by the press and even the fans you look at you go i don't know um if any of you have followed chelsea on instagram but if you um after a game you click on the comments and it's just like sell Murata there's all these horrible this horrible stuff about Murata probably on twitter as well and you know i think people forget that players do read this you know players do see this kind of abuse can i then add something to that afterwards sorry i didn't want to interrupt just want to add something to that once you're finished no, I, I just want to say I don't think it's just an English thing. Um, if you heard the the Atletico fans sing him that they hate Morata, they don't want him to come. I'm pretty sure that's the same there because Real Madrid, for example, they the players that come there. That's why people have been saying if Hazard does join Real Madrid, um, he's not going to have an easy time because he is a bit of a wasteful guy and he's supposed to more or less replace yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo. They are very unforgiving Spanish supporters, especially from Real Madrid or uh, the, so the big ones, Barcelona, Atletico. I don't think he's going to have it easy there, to be honest. Just wanted to add that. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, I remember you're talking about the, how social media impacts players. I, I remember tweeting Alvaro Morata, wishing him well, hoping he scored in the next game. Um, and he hadn't scored for a while, and then he scored in the next game. <laughs> you know, and he and he looked more confident and everything. Now, I didn't put it all down to my tweet, obviously, <laughs> but what, what I'm saying, those, those things, those things do make a difference. You know, they do read them. Um, people think they don't read them. They do. I mean, I think isn't it William and one other player? They've turned off their Instagram comments. It might, be, it might have been a lot. A few players. I mean, I know Barkley yeah, has as well. Yeah, well, that's not surprising. But oh yeah, Barkley has. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the guy I meant. Yeah, yeah. Because because they, because they can't deal with the abuse again. I shouldn't have. To. I mean, it's always hard to sort of sort of tell how big of an impact social media now has on players. Um, you know, as we discussed, it, sh- it surely as as human beings and how we personally react, even not on the the massive scale of these players in terms of followers and likes and comments, it surely should impact them on some on some scale but you're never quite sure but wish Morata all the best and just quickly I'll, I'll come to you Andrew on this just because of time wise um, Morata's loan might not actually be the end of his career as was proven by another Chelsea player who we're speaking about or ex- probably now is an ex-Chelsea player uh, Moses because before Conte came in I think most people thought that Moses was just waiting to be sold and and amazingly he broke into the first team under Conte as the right wing back and has now got himself a Premier League uh, winners medal and an FA Cup medal whilst in the Chelsea first team um Andrew just your quick thoughts on on Victor Moses I have a lot of time for Victor Moses like I've always been a big fan of him I was actually quite disappointed at the start of the season that he wasn't given a go as sort of the backup right back as in, instead of a maybe a Zappa Costa but um yeah, I, th- I think it's it's fair enough that he wants to go and play football. He clearly doesn't have a future here, because if he's not going to be, if we're not going to be using a, a wing back system, and and Sarri doesn't think he's good enough to play right back, then uh, there's really no point in keeping him around because he's just going to get in the way of guys like Hudson Odoi and stuff. So I think it's it, it it makes sense. I mean, yeah, I think his uh, it's a what one and a half year loan, and his contract's up in 2020 anyway. So that's uh, that's pretty much him leaving the club permanently. But yeah, I mean, he's had a, he had a great impact. I mean, nobody really thought when he was on loan at Liverpool that the Liverpool fans they really didn't like him. He had, and then he had pretty like indifferent spells at um, uh, West Ham and Stoke, I think, where he wasn't you know he didn't set the world alight either. And and then Conte came in and he just turned him into a turned him into a really really solid right wing back. I think he has those elements that maybe a guy like Emerson has, where he can sort of beat his man. He can be a bit more, um. He doesn't. He doesn't require as much support on the wing, which I think for the modern def- day defender is 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 really good. So um yeah, I hope he does well at Bushik, uh, um Fenerbahce. I hope he does well. I think um if they play him as a wing back or they play him in the system that suits him, I think they'll get a really really good player and he'll he'll have a good time there. Yeah, we definitely wish uh, Victor Moses all the best in his uh, move at Fenerbahce. And you never know, he may do the same again and come back and somehow break into Chelsea's team, but it looks unlikely. Now moving on lastly to the game at Bournemouth on Wednesday night in the Premier League away at the Vitality Stadium. Uh, It's back to Premier League, uh, considering the defeat to Arsenal, the gap now between us and uh, United and Arsenal is now down to three points. Uh, So really the race is is on now. Um, Jimmy, who who do you think will be starting in this game? Your thoughts on this game? Uh, how crucial is it uh, now that we're really entering uh, the the finish towards the finishing line of the Premier League season? 
Mm, I mean, every, uh, every game is going to be crucial here because that top four race it is so tight. Um, every point we drop is going to be going to hurt us. And um, Bournemouth isn't a side that I'd like to underestimate. They they do have quite a bit of ability in the team. I mean, Nathan Aki's been brilliant for them, for example. Um, good thing for Chelsea is, of course, that Callum Wilson does seem as if he's going to be missing this game. Uh, he seems to have some slight injury, uh, a niggle, something like that. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I think starting-wise... After Alonso started that on Sunday, I really, really hope that this is Alonso's uh, chance to shine. Uh, so I, I definitely hope that he'll start. I don't think Callum hudson Adoy is going to start. Higuain should, though. Um, I think generally, uh, if you're asking for a lineup, then a predicted one, it's just going to be uh, you know normal order restored, but with Emerson in the side and Higuain in the side. That seems to be sort of common around from what, what I've seen. Emerson, considering Alonso started that FA Cup game, should probably keep his his starting place and and probably will. Um, James, your thoughts? Because Bournemouth, uh, we sort of underestimate, I think, sometimes how mm. much of an established Premier League team they are now. Um, they got promoted in, what was it, 2015? Um the job Eddie Howe's done there is quite incredible and they're now basically safe, you'd assume, in the Premier League. And, you know, even we were looking at Callum Wilson to come in and, and fix our striker problem. Uh, what are your fears um, and hopes going into the game? Yeah, I've got a lot of time for Bournemouth, um, Eddie Howe. Um, they play good football, they're solid, uh, he's a good manager and he's built a good squad there. And it's always a difficult game against Bournemouth. I think, you know, we can't take it for granted, definitely. Um, yeah, it's good that Callum Wilson's not playing, although I have my my sceptics about players being out just just before a Chelsea game because they will seem to make a miraculous recovery. Um, but yes, um, and of course we've got to win, obviously. We've got to win, um, I think. But we're going to have to show up. We can't just kind of do our show up and think we're going to win this easily. You know, this is going to be an easy game. You can just pass it around slowly and whatever. It's going to be a difficult game. So um, I think, you know, as, as Jim said, it has to start. Um, that's, that's just, I've been saying Emerson should be starting for months. So, uh, <laughs> But it looks like he actually might start. There's a good chance he might. Um, up front, um, I would like to see Hudson Adoy starting. I don't think he will start. Um, I think Pedro and Hazard will be wingers. Um, but I think I think Higuain coming into the team is a big deal for us. I think we've in, in a lot of games this season we've created chances and never had anyone to finish them. And if we had someone to finish them, we would have won games that we've drawn or lost. There's some games definitely where that's the case. And I think that so, and it's it's a good game for Higuain to come in at his first league game. So he can kind of again build that chemistry with with Hazard, especially. I'm really looking forward to seeing Hazard and Higuain linking up. I think that will be a really good thing for Chelsea. Um, so it'll be a difficult game, but I think we can win. Um, and yeah, I think we will win. So 
And it is really important, like Jim says, that we pick up we pick up wins. We've got a very difficult month coming up. We've got Manchester City, we've got um, Spurs, you know, the, the two difficult games this month in the league, as well as obviously a lot of other fixtures. So we've got to pick up all the points we can because we've got to make sure we get in that top four. Uh, before before we give score predictions, Andrew, do you think this is a great game for a player like Higuain considering uh, Bournemouth's sort of philosophy under Eddie Howe? They're quite an open side and when teams go to the vitality, they do like to attack. So chance creation uh, could be a big thing. And, and if Higuain's uh, on his day, and and is clinical. Could he find uh, the back of the net and score his first Chelsea goal? He should get one or two chances. I mean, they 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 do have the potential to be a little bit open. Although I think Eddie Howe is quite a quite a, a sound tactically a tactically sound manager. I think he's the kind of um. It, it depends. I think last time they played, they, they they played a little bit of a mid block on us, didn't they? And they played very very compact in midfield, and we we actually struggled a little bit. Although. Yeah, I think we will create some chance. I think there's no reason why Higuain can't score in his debut. James said, I think uh, I'm quite excited to see the link-up with Hazard and uh, and Higuain. I think that could be really, really good. I think Higuain provides the sort of... um, He, he can occupy a defence in the same way that like a, a, a hold-up guy like Giroud can, but he also has that sort of ability to run in behind and really uh, just, just stretch the game. So I think I think that'll be really, really good. I also I'm also excited to see the link-up between Hazard and Emerson. I think Emerson, with the way that he can he can uh, do his own thing on the wing, he can he can beat his beat his man, get down, use his pace, and I think uh, that's going to give Hazard a little more freedom to drift inside and, and and really play off Higuain and create some good chances. So so I think it should be good. I think uh, yeah, if Higuain can get a goal, I think if we can play play the same way we played against Tottenham, nice and quick, we we have the right team selection. If uh, Hudson Odoi can also get some some good minutes, that would be good. And I, I think we should uh, we should be able to win the game. Good stuff. Now, before we go, uh, it's time to give some score predictions. Jimmy, uh, your score prediction for the game? Uh, always a tricky one, but uh, I don't think we're going to keep a clean sheet. Uh, Bournemouth away, they do. You usually tend to score, so uh, I think I'll go with a optimistic three-one win for Chelsea. Good stuff, James. Um, I'm going to go for. A, I think I think I'm going to go for two now. I think I think Higuain will get, will get the goal. I think I think Hazard might get a goal. I think the Higuain Hazard in wall as well. Um, and I'm going to be optimistic about keeping the clean sheet. <laughs> and Andrew, I'm going to go with the same with, as the same as Jimmy and go with a three-one win. I wouldn't be surprised to see Nathan Aki get a consolation goal. He seems to always. <laughs> Either score against us or, or come really close to scoring. He always seems to be really, really dangerous in the in the penalty area for a guy who's not that tall. So, um, yeah, three one with Nathan Aki to score a consolation, and hopefully Higuain to score in his debut as well. Yeah, I think I will join you in saying a three one. I just I just get the feeling if Chelsea do play the way we did in that first half against Spurs with that same intensity, I, I do get the sense that chances will be created, and and we need to be clinical and hopefully 
Higuain will provide that, um, even not scoring, just creating space for other players around him. Um, so yeah, hopefully it'll be Chelsea getting back to winning ways in the Premier League and making it three wins in a row after that bad uh, defeat to Arsenal. So that is it for today's podcast, guys. We wanted to do one before the end of the transfer window. Hopefully we'll be back. We'll be back. Hopefully we will be back before the weekend to preview the game uh, to Huddersfield as well as talking about uh, the game at Bournemouth. So thank you to Andrew, to Jimmy and to James for coming on. Before we go, give a chance for all of them to shout out their social media accounts and what they're doing online. Uh, James, I'll start with you. Where can people find what you do online? PCFC001. I also write for the Chelsea Echo as well. And you can find some of my articles there. I've written quite a few. I've got some more coming up. So, um, yeah, I'd love to connect with Great people. stuff. Jimmy? Um, you can find me on Twitter under Jimmy C- uh, Jimmy Funnel CFC. Uh, you can also visit uh, We Ain't Got No History or the Chelsea Echo, of course, to read my articles. would be very well appreciated. Um, yeah, also, how can I forget? be great. To have a collab, of course, between us uh, with our podcast called The Attacking Two. If uh, you're up for it, guys, in the future, definitely sounds good. Yeah, it'd be great. Perfect. Well, then that's all from me. <laughs> and of course, Andrew. I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, on Twitter at CFC Extra, and the same on the Chelsea Echo. Wonderful. You can also find me on Twitter at Son of Chelsea and on Chelsea Echo. I did write um, an article about the Hudson Odoi situation, which we did discuss today. So thank you guys for, for coming onto the podcast. Great to talk about Chelsea again. And thank you guys for listening and supporting the pod. Uh, up the Chelsea, hopefully, uh, we do get the win against Bournemouth in the Premier League. And we'll be talk- talking about another Chelsea win. So thank you for listening and we'll see you again.